0: It is our most advanced technology and was mature at the time uh, when uh, we all were hit by the pandemic to take it out of the toolbox and to use it as our vaccine technology and for mRNA it was the baptism by fire.
1: That was Dr. Oslim Tureci, the chief medical officer of BioNTech. In early July, science journalist Kai Kupferschmidt spoke with Dr. Tureci and Dr. Ugo Shahim, the chief executive officer of BioNTech. They co-founded the company in 2008. Dr. Shahim and Dr. Tureci were elected EMBO members in 2021. Kai spoke with them about their journey from physicians caring for cancer patients to physician scientists to entrepreneurs and how BioNTech, a company with a strong focus on cancer, managed to develop the first licensed COVID-19 vaccine in less than one year. Welcome
2: to the EMBO podcast. Thank you so much for taking time. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have a chance to talk to you. And um, even as a science journalist, it doesn't happen that often that you talk to people who actually kind of had this immediate impact on your life. I I have my two shots of uh, of BioNTech. Um, so I guess this must happen a lot to you now that people kind of, you know, go up to you and 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 just tell you you know thanks yes
1: (laughs) yes they they do I think I think for all of us and we experience this in the same way uh, getting the vaccine is some sort of a relief and uh, uh, so uh, going back uh, to freedom and and people want to share this relief it's normal
2: I'm, I'm curious, you're probably two of the earliest people who got the vaccine, right? Are you kind of following your own antibody titer uh, a little bit along and, and kind of to, to get a sense of how much it wanes?
0: No, we are not Not doing that. We we were not on, uh, among the first ones. As you know, the first ones were the most vulnerable ones, so we uh, waited until... Uh, it uh, was our time to get the vaccine and we are not monitoring our antibody t- uh, titers. We are relying on the data which comes from the uh, bigger studies uh, and uh, on um, uh, what we uh, um, uh, find out in terms of scientific insights when, when boosters would be required.
2: Can you can you take me back to, to the beginning of 2020? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that time very well, Who um, I read that you read, I think, uh, an article in The Lancet in, in early January about the cases in China. What, what, what exactly went through your mind?
1: Yes, so, so, so I read a p- publication in Lancet describing, it was the first scientific publication describing cases in, in Wuhan. And the publication showed, showed that this new outbreak has the full pattern. Uh, of, a, of a pandemic f- f- threat. Uh, and the most important new information in this publication was that there were individuals who did not have symptoms, no fever, even though um, they, were, they were positive for the virus. Yeah? And at that time, uh, there was no, uh, no restriction for traveling uh, for, for people who did not uh, have symptoms. And so it was very clear. Statistically, I did some calculations. It was very clear that this outbreak already uh, uh, is in a pre-pandemic pandemic phase. And, and then, of course, the next, next, uh, next uh, uh, um, type of thoughts were, what can we do? Yeah? And uh, is our technology suitable to develop a vaccine? And understanding that we, that we had a chance to make a difference uh, um, uh, resulted in in a more or less obligation to start the project without asking. You know. Sorry
2: to interrupt. Let, let me just stick with this for a second because I'm really struck that you say. I mean, this was January um, when when you had this realization, and and I remember very vividly in the middle of February, you know, when we had the cases already in in Italy, in Iran, um, and trying to convince people that this was, um, you know, a very that this was already out of control, basically what do you think you saw that that other people missed because there were quite a few you know infectious disease specialists at the time still uh, even even when the when the public health emergency of international concern was declared by by WHO i think 30th of january there were still a lot of people saying you know this is this is wrong so, so what do you think put you in a position to to make that that call the right call in that case
1: yeah so first of all i think many people not only i uh, and our team uh, but many people saw that uh, uh, because the mathematics was, was very clear, yeah? uh, but, but uh, what, what, what limits us as, as, as human beings is, is, is the past experience because, because this did not happen the, the last 50 years in this, in this way. Yeah? People continue to do their normal business. And as a scientist, you have to disconnect you uh, yourself uh, from the pa- past experience. It's not about experience, it is a new situation with a, with a new pathogen which fulfills the full pattern of, a, of an outbreak which can't be controlled because of, of this high, the combination of high infectivity and um, the more or less immune naïve human population and the uh, higher transmission rate, and uh, the pathology, and because because asymptomatic uh, patients uh, could act as a global carrier yeah, to spread this disease, and it was just too late. And and then it's 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 like um, it's it's a full pattern. There is the evidence, mathematical evidence is there, and it's just only a matter of time that that other people will realize that and we started before uh, without losing time
2: right yeah and i'm always struck that humans were just terrible with exponential growth of course yeah. um, so 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 what were the kinds of decisions that you made then at the company what 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 had to what changed for you uh, in january
0: um, we deployed uh, teams uh, on uh, to, to work immediately on the work streams which uh, are needed for drug development. So uh, basically at that weekend, when um, uh, uh, we realized uh, that this would happen and we had to act, there was already a list of... of, uh, constructs, uh, vaccine constructs, which uh, went into, which uh, which were uh, 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 then initiated, the cloning was initiated. So cloning was one, preparing the experiments for preclinically, comparing uh, the different constructs, uh, starting to design a clinical trial. Uh, shortly after that, first contacts with regulatory authorities, with the paul ehrlich Institute, to uh, start a dialogue early on, um, thoughts about manufacturing and whether we would have the capacities. So everything was started and put on tracks, uh, and uh, then escalated and accelerated over time with more information on the reality of the pandemic. Uh, uh, coming in.
2: So, so you started very, very early compared to others, and then the other thing that you did was to to partner up with a with one of the big players that you mentioned earlier. Um, in this case, Pfizer, who you already had a, a kind of a business relationship with. Um, what what made you take that decision?
1: It was very clear that, that uh, uh, we had the skills to design a vaccine and, uh, and to engineer and understand immune responses. And we, uh, we could also do the phase one clinical trial, but we did not uh, have the skills to do the global phase three clinical trial, which, which is required for efficacy testing. Therefore, therefore, we decided uh, to identify a partner, a pharma partner who, who, who can do that. And since we had already a collaboration with Pfizer, and, uh, and since, since this collaboration was really, really uh, an excellent collaboration with, with, um, with, uh, with also Pfizer, uh, dedicated uh, on a scientific approach driven by data, uh, we asked the colleagues from Pfizer whether they would like to
2: join us. It's such an important decision in a way. And I I, I want to understand a little bit how you think about this, because a lot of the the commentary that I've read or a lot of what I've seen about mRNA, kind of it talks about the BioNTech vaccine or the Moderna vaccine as kind of, you know, it's all about the technology. This proves mRNA is great. There's, if if you look at what actually happened, you could argue the Novavax vaccine, for instance, um is probably at least as good. It maybe has a little bit uh, milder side effects and has a similar efficacy. It just came a lot later, and and one reason that it came later. I mean, they they applied, I think, at the same time for the uh, for the clinical trial, but Novavax didn't partner with a large company. Um, and by the time they got started, the cases were lower, and all of these things. So when you look back at at this story, how much it is, of it is really about this? mRNA technology, because we now know that a lot of different technologies are able to produce decent vaccines against this particular virus and, you know, luckily for us, but but how much of it is that and how much is, you know, you getting started very early, making a very smart decision about who to partner with and then just the clinical trial being run uh, really well and fast?
0: So uh, a number of things, uh, as always, uh, there is not one uh, one answer, a number of things have to play together. Uh, and therefore, it's very important to map those uh, uh, those threads. You have to weave together very early on and take care of them. And one of those was this partnership. So. Um, mRNA technology without now comparing it with others has a couple of features which uh, plays into uh, which plays towards being able to be fast uh, being able to be agile and have some versatility it's a synthetic uh, molecule which can be easily um, uh, produced which can be relatively easily upscaled and which can be also uh, relatively easily technology transferred when it comes, for example, to co- cooperating with partners. This all certainly takes time and so on because uh, GMP manufacturing and uh, G- uh, GCP clinical trials uh, have their um, regulations uh, to which we have to, uh, to, uh, with which we have to comply. Um, so uh, the technology is one thing that it allows to be fast. Uh, uh, Another thing is that this technology was really mature. We had not only developed it over years, we had already translated it. So there were clinical trials going on all over the world, hundreds of patients already treated. With our cancer vaccine, manufacturing capacities at a stage where we alone had already uh, the the technology clinical trial material technology in place and were able to uh, deliver material for the entire clinical development. Uh, So this all was in place, but it was also clear this um, expansion, the worldwide clinical trials, the worldwide connections to regulatory authorities and the further expansion of manufacturing capacities need additional support and this is this is the case for many of the technologies and we reacted early and put this in place with our partners
2: in your construct you use the the two proline residues that that barney graham kind of you know in the in the pre-fusion spike um, found to be you know to stabilize that that confirmation and as somebody who you know moved into this whole space You know kind of ad hoc when the when the pandemic hit i'm just curious what like how you make these decisions did you just like read the papers and immediately realize okay this could help us or how do you how do you go about that
1: exactly the weekend after reading the lancet paper uh, we read about 100 publications yeah and um, and uh, and the data that Barney ha- had described uh, for SARS, as well as the MERS vaccine, plus, plus the crystal, crystal structure that was published, con- convinced convinced us that this is a good way to go.
2: Okay, and, and the other thing, because we keep talking about the mRNA, and we talk much much less about the the, the, the packaging of it, right? The nanoparticle technology. And just we don't have a lot of time, but but but. Over the years, what what's kind of the the main theme that has emerged for you? What works? Like what, what have been the improvements there? We talked with the mRNA about the pseudo for instance, but yeah. but with the nanoparticles, what's what were the major steps there?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is it is like like in the messenger RNA. There is not one single innovation. Yeah, so so you have really uh, to combine many many many. Innovations and improvements, and for the nanoparticle, it is important important to uh, to ensure protection of the mRNA, which which is accomplished by many nanoparticles. On, on the other side, ensure ensure a high transfection rate. Yeah? and we we have we have tested uh, hundreds of formulations, and discovered this formulation, which is from another partner from ACUITAS to be one of the best, fulfilling fulfilling the mode of action uh, in which we were interested, a delivery mechanism that allowed us to bring the, the mRNA to lymph nodes uh, where immune responses are primed. Yeah? And, uh, and, and therefore we decided to go with this empirically identified formulation as, as the one uh, to be used in combination with our mRNA. So
2: and so we, we ended up with the BioNTech vaccine, you know, with the first person being vaccinated um, at the end of 2020 already in, um, I mean, in regular vaccination um, after approval. And I, I'm kind of... I'm curious how you think about the fact that we have this amazing tool and it has saved countless lives. But of course, right now we're in a situation where it could also have saved much more lives, many more lives. Um, but we're now in a situation where we're vaccinating teenagers, um, you know, in, in in some countries like Israel or in Germany, increasingly, um, the U.S. And and then there's other places in the world where there's no vaccine, even for for frontline healthcare workers. Um it, I mean, you're scientists, you're also entrepreneurs. Um, there's so much involved here, but what what is the role of you as the scientists who who develop this in this? How do you how do you think about this? Um, and 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 is there like like where's your responsibility in a sense? Where does it end? What can you actually do?
0: The, the question is equality of distribution. Uh, you are getting to uh, I guess Kai, and uh, that has been of uh, importance for us from the very beginning. So. Um, uh, we We repeated the mantra, uh, others have designed. no one is safe uh, uh, if uh, not everyone is uh, safe and we meant we meant that and from the very beginning, Uh, I mentioned those work streams Uh, we also initiated work streams which would allow that takes time and therefore uh, we are not uh, yet there which would allow also distribution in terms of storage and transport conditions into low and middle income countries so we prepared for that and as you might have also recognized we overperformed in terms of what we promised to deliver, we started with 1.6 billions. We are at 3 billions uh, because we managed uh, to to to, to, uh, uh, to beat our own uh, goals. And um, in fact, uh, uh, it, it 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 is not as uh, as uh, um, uh, bad as uh, sometimes described. Uh, we uh, will um, via Covex deliver. 40 million uh, 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 doses uh, to low- and middle-income countries. And we have committed to 2 billion doses within the next one and a half years to low- and middle-income countries. The first 1 billion within this year, which is 40% of our production capacity.
1: Yeah, may I I add, so, so besides really delivering the vaccines, to to these low-income countries. This is the one thing that we are committed to do. Uh, We believe it is important to to enable that, that for example, in Africa uh, um, uh, uh, dedicated regions have access to the technology. So we are committed within the next next years to identify partners. with whom we can transfer our technology, build manufacturing capacity in Africa, to ensure ensure the next time when a when when a, such a situation happened, that uh, that that this that this low-income countries have everything in place to to manufacture their own vaccines.
2: Before we run out of time, I want to get back to to the original um, you know your original mission um, to oncology and. You've had, you know, this, this very fast, amazing success with this vaccine against COVID-19. And that, of course, stands in stark contrast to how hard it has been to develop anything in the, in the cancer field. Is there, how do you see, you know, the future? Do you see, is there anything you can take from this experience um, as well with, with COVID-19 that will help you with your original mission?
0: Yes, yes, definitely. So it was uh, uh, using uh, our experience in cancer vaccines to cross-fertilize the COVID-19 development and now this is given back to cancer, what we, we have learned there. And it's not only uh, what we have learned, Kyle, it's also uh, about, uh, uh, for example, regulators learning more about the technology and and uh, about safety profiles and and uh, um, uh, also about learning how to upscale manufacturing and, and refine that and learning about the immune Uh, 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 response patterns so this all will definitely be tailwind for us for our developments uh, uh, in 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 the cancer realm uh, and how we uh, will modify and improve and accelerate our efforts to have cancer vaccines
2: right And, and obviously you're also working on other infectious diseases I sometimes feel like people are, you know, I, I get a lot of questions about like, oh, is this the technology that's going to give us an HIV vaccine? And my personal take is always the problems that we have in developing an HIV vaccine have very little to do with the technology we use to deliver the vaccine and, and, and a lot to do with the pathogen itself. Where, where do you see in, in, in the infectious disease field?
1: Yeah, so, so the, the, what drives us is really medical need. And there are a few pathogens which, uh, for which there is a huge medical need. For example, tuberculosis. Uh, so we believe that tuberculosis uh, that mRNA could be very suitable for development of a tuberculosis vaccines vaccine so we started also in partnership with the Gates Foundation already almost one and a half years ago a project to develop tuberculosis vaccines uh, so we 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 plan to bring bring such such vaccine candidates. Uh, most likely in 2022 into into clinical testing the other uh, great challenge in the field is malaria
2: i read i think it was in the profile in in the financial times that when you got married you went back to the lab afterwards on that day um so clearly you're both very driven what 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 drives you know your your interest in science and, and 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 health and and being a doctor where did it come from where did it start for you
1: yeah and maybe i start so so uh, for me it's two two reasons one, one reason is is really curiosity uh, and i love science uh, i love mathematics i love to understand things uh, try to find patterns uh, and try to understand so that's one motivation the second motivation is really um uh, to to be able to help and uh, to to make a difference for individual lives uh, and uh, and uh, and try to to solve to solve um, yeah uh, medical medical problems yeah uh, by identifying the ground challenges and addressing them it it's the combination of two things
0: yes it's it's pretty similar for me um, my dad was a, a physician and I grew up. Uh, experiencing what it means to to treat patients and what fulfillment it in particular means. And uh, later when I was at medical school, uh, I um, uh, did my doctoral thesis in um, molecular biology and deep dived into uh, uh, the realm of uh, science and this this, um, uh, divergence or this gap on the one hand seeing that As a physician I could not offer much to my cancer patients and on the other hand seeing the entire potential we would have if we would translate. Uh, science and technology into treatments immediately, Uh, that was something which motivated uh, me together with Ugo to uh, select the special path of career and it also involved becoming an entrepreneur out of desperation because this seemed to be the only way to bridge this gap.
2: Do, do you remember any specific moment or any experience when, when when that became clear to you? Because in in my experience, for a lot of scientists, it's still, I mean, that is a very big switch to go from being you know a curiosity-driven scientist to to, to trying to to get an application out there and as an entrepreneur um, with all the you know with all the hurdles that that entails.
1: It was not not just a moment. It was really really an understanding understanding what is possible in. In a uh, purely academic environment, yeah, and what needs to be done to really bring bring new new type of treatments to patients, and not only to the to the few patients uh, within uh, early clinical trial, but really uh, um, develop new medicines which could change the standard. Uh, so we. Uh, we uh, did our research uh, in in the university hospitals and came up with new concepts and tried to to uh, to collaborate with with industrial partners yeah uh, to convince them to to take this concepts to uh, to use our targets for development of new treatments and uh, and uh, working with with uh, with with the partners we realized that uh that uh after a few years yeah uh, even though the cooperation uh, went well uh the, uh the the pharma partners decided to stop because because the leadership changed or, or because of structural changes and we realized it is it is just not possible to do it with uh, by collaboration and it was also not possible to finance that yeah, to finance clinical trials, to finance GMP manufacturing of uh, of our compounds. So the only way to to go was uh, to start to start a company and and uh, try to get the financing uh, to do all those things.
2: So what was the most important thing maybe that you learned with that first company that wasn't in the books? What what what? would you have hoped you would have known before maybe?
1: So for me, the most important aspect was really, really uh, to take uh, uh, full responsibility. Because the idea, even, even when we founded, founded the company, the idea was we ensure as founders um, that we get the financing. Yeah? And then we, we hire company people who do the research uh, and uh, with industrial background. And we realized after a few months, this is not going to work. Yeah? Uh, we have to really deep dive into the matter to avoid that this is, this, this is going to be, to be a failure. Yeah? So that's, that's the very first thing that, that I had learned. Yeah? And that, uh, that if you start a company, if you start, start a new institution, you have to, uh, to, to be responsible.
0: Yes, I cannot agree more. It's really this um, understanding that you need skin in the game yourself. And and I, I fully believe that the new breed of, of um, biotech or biopharma executives are scientists. Because science really uh, has to lead the way the innovation cycles also, for healthcare medicines, for, for for healthcare products and medicines, will be absolutely science-based and faster. Uh, so um, I agree to Ugo. That's an important learning.
2: I mean, one of the interesting things to me is that Ganymede, of course, you started that actually trying to develop um, antibody drugs, right? Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that's quite a long way away, of course, from the mRNA that everybody now kind of knows you for, I guess. Um, at the time, what was promising to you about that? And, and maybe you can also update just briefly, because I realized the company was sold, but um, I think there's a phase three trial going on, right, of, of, of the compound.
0: So at the time we founded Ganymede, um, we had... a. Uh, a very uh, active and busy um, uh, research team uh, in in, uh, an academic team uh, at the University Hospital in Science and we were pursuing numerous different immune therapy approaches including mRNA antibodies and, and other formats, because we were interested really not special in a specialized way on one type of immune therapy, but in immune therapy combinations. And um, the antibodies we were developing uh, were ripe uh, to be uh, spun off into a, a company. That was the reason why Ganymede was very focused on uh, that type of personalized approach namely having a target which is very precise and specific and developing antibodies which are a well-known established technology easier to industrialize against this target and all the other activities remained in the academic space and we continued them and um, uh, so that was the reason why um, uh, uh, Ganymede was specialized and focused on antibodies and later on when we came to a point where we in fact showed in randomized phase two trials that the antibody works uh, we were also aware of the fact that we would not be able to finance and also conduct operationally as a small company phase three trials Uh, And and the the usual business model for biotech companies uh, founded by scientists uh, is and uh, was also at that time uh, to then uh, sell to pharma uh, which has the machinery to do this. And uh, the pharma partner who acquired the technology Astellas is running now uh, two big phase three trials, uh, global trials and uh, additional phase two trials and other indications um, so um, uh, that is still going on.
2: I, I find it interesting that, that the, the sale of, of Ganymed was one of the biggest deals in, in, in German biotech at the time. And um, I guess it still is. And yet it feels like that's, that's something that in Germany, it's it, I didn't know about it, to be honest, and I, I haven't seen it celebrated in, in the way that maybe it would be in the US. And I wonder how you feel you know, academics kind of think about this, like how did they react to this kind of news? How do you feel this, this is perceived in, in academia more generally?
1: Yeah, so first of, first of all, what was great with the experience um, uh, of, of our, our development, antibody development at Ganymede was that, that the company was almost not known, uh, even, even not for experts, and we just did our, our research, we, uh, we started the phase two uh, um, clinical trial, and, and this trial was one of thousands oncology trials running, uh, running worldwide, and no one really noticed. But at that time point, when we got the results, we just sent an abstract to ASCO, which is the, the, the greatest cancer conference, and this abstract was selected as one of the best uh, 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 presentations uh, for 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 presenting presenting uh, presenting to uh, to to the press. So it was really interesting that we just included included the findings of the trial, which were very convincing, and the scientific approach. Uh, uh, the recognition happened. So within a few days, uh, we uh, the the company became famous and we had a lot of interest from pharma and it took about eight to ten, ten weeks uh, 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 later uh, that the company was sold to astellas so so that means you, you don't need to make a lot of noise yeah uh, to be to be recognized it's just having the data the science yeah and if the science and the data confirms then then you will be recognized and this is a wonderful experience. And we do not, we do not see, uh, we, don't, we do we do not seek recognition for what we do. We just want to develop, develop our medicines, and if they are successful, we want to bring them to the patients.
2: Yeah. So c- clearly, there must have been something there that, that um, you know triggered you enough to want to found another company because you then founded Biontech. Um, what was the idea behind that company when you started it?
1: So, so our original motivation as 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 physicians uh, is to uh, to help uh, is to help individual patients. And uh, when we uh, started our personalized cancer immunotherapy project with the antibody, we we realized um, that seventy percent of patients have, have, had to be excluded because the target was not expressed, and that's not not the way. Uh, which is satisfying for a physician because a physician really wants to provide the best possible treatment to the patient so we were from the very beginning interested in individualized medicine the idea of uh, individualized medicine is to uh, to uh, analyze analyze the targets uh, which are which are which are expressed by the t- in the tumor of the patient and develop a treatment which is really tailored to the to the uh, to the antigens in the individual tumor and that's that what, what what motivated us also to start our mRNA research and biontech was founded it stands for biopharmaceutical new technologies was founded to come up with a number of technologies that would allow this personalized tailoring to enable treatment treatment of individual patients so that was the motivation behind behind the initiation of of biontech
2: so at, at what point did mRNA become really the focus in a way? Because, I mean, like you said, new technologies is the NT. So so in the beginning, there were different approaches that, that you were looking at.
0: Yeah, so, so um, I would not say that mRNA is the focus because we are, we, uh, we are s- uh, solution and, and uh, goal-driven uh, and the goal is clear. We want to uh, provide uh, better medicines and uh, mRNA has been one uh, of our technologies which we started in, in uh, the early uh, 2000s uh, to, to develop and to adapt for different um, uh, therapeutic uh, uh, modalities uh, for vaccines but also for expressing antibodies or cytokines and um, it is our most advanced technology uh, uh, and was uh, mature at the time uh, when uh, we all were hit by the uh, by the pandemic to take it out of the toolbox and to use it as a uh, our vaccine technology. And for mRNA, uh, it was the baptism by fire. uh, And we could show that it works. But we have other technologies in which we also believe in our toolbox, which we think can also work uh, for other purposes.
2: So there's this idea that you know, in the beginning, it seemed full of promise. I mean, it's something we see a lot in biotech, right? You have this, in the beginning, someone has a nice idea on a, on a blackboard, and it's like, wow, if this works, it could do all these things. And then you hit the first snags. In this case, it was very immunogenic, the uridine especially. And so you ended up, um, basically, there wasn't a lot of funding and people didn't really develop it further. And um, you just have to look at the, the history of, of uh, Katalin Kariko at, at, at UPenn, right? And... So at what point do you kind of how do you look at this technology and then say oh but I think you know this is now ready or we can we can use this what what got you excited about it in a way and and, and when
0: Yeah it was it was in the early 2000s and this was pre-biontech this was in our academic uh, group uh, where we were looking into different technologies to serve as a vaccine, meaning to deliver the information of an antigen uh, to the, the organism in order to induce immune responses. And we tested all the different technologies, including those which were hip at that time. And uh, then uh, uh, and, and mRNA was included in this. And at that time, mRNA was overlooked. Because it was uh, not potent enough, specifically because once mRNA was brought into a, a cell, uh, the half life of the RNA and the translation efficiency to protein were so uh, low that uh, the amounts of protein you would get would not be sufficient. And uh, we, however, saw that on the one uh, hand, Uh, you want uh, something which is transient due to safety reasons. You don't want something to integrate. So there was a potential or or there was a feature which was interesting. On the other hand, we um, uh, were sure that we would be able uh, with sufficient time and effort invested to uh, tweak the pharmacokinetics of the mRNA. And third, mRNA, uridine-containing mRNA has intrinsic adjuvanticity, so also that appealed to us uh, that uh, we had this immune modulatory effect. And we invested several years through throughput screening technologies and so on to modify the um, uh, non-coding regions of the mRNA, the cap region, the UTRs, the poly-R-tail, how to uh, purify it in order to ensure that we get this pharmacokinetics and the translational efficiency uh, uh, right. And in fact, what we achieved by combining better designs of those elements was a more than thousandfold increase of protein yield in, and this is now important in human dendritic cells because this is cell. Type specific, and we were immunologists, so we knew knew which cells we want to 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 to, uh, to target. So that was one of many um, uh, buckets of improvements we developed over time. And another uh, uh, improvement is the nucleoside modification, which was developed by uh, Kati and by Drew, uh, which. Uh, Uh, makes mRNA, uh, um, uh, which blunts the the, the immune modulatory uh, mRNA um, uh, feature, uh, which is one of the modifications which on the one hand ensures that mRNA is translated longer. So it also plays into the translation efficiency part and uh, uh, also blunts the immune modulatory effect. The uridine mRNA, that one we developed into clinical stage for our for our cancer vaccines. We have um, uridine mRNA. We need the immune modulatory capacity because cancer is a much higher hanging fruit as compared to viruses. We also developed the first and I think only intravenous formulation for mRNA, which means a specific lipoplexes, which carry the mRNA body-wide into the dendritic cells in lymph nodes in order to get the expression of the antigen in the right place in the body. And sort of this and even more uh, investments into improvements over the years have brought us to, uh, brought us to the place where we are now.
2: So you were, I mean, you were developing this technology in the beginning, of course, still with your eye on, on, on cancer, on oncology, right? Um, and like you just said, in some ways, viruses, of course, are way lower hanging fruit and, and you don't have to be personalized for them. I mean, personalized for the virus, I guess. But um, in, in what way, at what point did you kind of realize, well, we could also do something in infectious diseases? Was that an easy transition?
1: Uh, yeah, so infectious disease, uh, disease vaccines were an obvious, uh, obvious application from the very beginning. Uh, but the, the, the key limitation for development of infectious disease vaccine is not the technology, um, but but it is more the uh, the way how infectious disease vaccines are developed. Yeah, there are only a few players worldwide in the infectious disease vaccine field and these are large pharmaceutical companies uh, which can uh, do large clinical trials with 30, 40,000 uh, subjects uh, and are able, able uh, to, uh, to ensure the worldwide supply. And this was not BioNTech, so it was very clear and that infectious disease vaccines is something we, we could consider later on. Uh, uh, because we we, we 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 were not interested in 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 just competing with existing products we really wanted to develop products which are not existing and of course the situation changed uh, when when we realized that the, that this outbreak is going to become a pandemic and uh, and then we were back in the in this motivation yeah uh, to develop something which could help humanity
2: you've Obviously, you started as, physici- as physicians. You're not treating patients anymore. I understand, and I mean, obviously, you're doing a lot of things. You're still teaching. You're, you, you know, you're running the company. Was that a hard decision? Do do you miss it? Like this idea of having having to almost be a full time entrepreneur and not getting to see the patients anymore?
0: Yes, it was. It was a tough decision for 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 both of us. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, seeing patients means really hundred fifty percent commitment uh, because it's not it's it's not technical it's really a, 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 a humanitarian and emotional uh, thing thing to do and um, when we decided to to um, quit that realm we we also said uh, if we are now uh, quitting that uh, we need to make sure that uh, the investment of effort and time into developing medicines is so successful uh, that uh, at the end of the day it pays off for the patients, for all the patients we could not treat in that time. Uh, So it was on the one hand uh, a difficult decision, but one which was a continuous incentive and motivator for us.
2: Thank you so much for taking so much time, I really, really appreciate it, it's been really interesting.